Hey, welcome to the Gentle Rebel podcast, where we talk about navigating life's harsher edges with a spirit of compassionate creativity. I'm Andy Mort, I'm a songwriter and creativity coach, and I love exploring the power of gentleness in creating conditions for meaningful change from the inside out. In this episode, we're going to think about ideas around strength. Strength is one of the nine core themes that underpin my annual spiral, and it starts the calendar year off uh, in January. We had a cotter session um, in the Haven recently where we unpacked uh, the idea of gentleness uh, as a source of strength, gentleness as strength, the strength of gentleness, uh, which turned into a, a really inspiring and interesting discussion. And so I'm going to reflect on some of the things that came up in that conversation in this episode and probe a little deeper, expand on some of the ideas that really caught my imagination. Incidentally, uh, if you'd like to be part of these beautiful themed conversations or just sit by and listen to them or observe them, uh, we do them every month in The Haven. It's a really great opportunity to meet gentle rebels all around the world and to share your experiences and your responses to certain questions that we uh, we kind of share beforehand um, and then look at during um, the discussion. I really love these sessions because they really embody what we um, will explore in this episode, which is kind of strengthening ideas and understanding by holding them up to be shaped by uh, other things around them. Um, in case you're wondering, a cotter is a wilderness hut found in rural Lapland where Sami reindeer herders would traditionally take refuge. I was inspired on a trip to Finland uh, in 2022 when I trekked to one of these cotter huts on uh, snowshoes uh, with my friend Timo. I was really struck by their kind of design and their purpose. Um, they're, they're like shelters of belonging for basically anyone and everyone. Somewhere to find warmth, rest, food, connection uh, with other passers-by, uh, if there are any. There's kind of no stage or place for a leader to be higher than anyone else. And this is one of the things I really like about this concept and, and using it um, in the Haven, for example. You know, they're places of equality. Um, they can be a space for stories, for laughter, for songs, for silence. Somewhere for weary travellers to take shelter, to rest or to connect, to encourage, share and collaborate, full of possibilities, but also open to the possibility of nothing much happening, of space, of time to just be. So that's what we do in our Haven Cotter. Everyone is welcome to come as they are, how they are and to connect in whatever way they need. It's a source of strength and welcomes people to be with whatever strength they currently do or don't feel they have. So join us at the-haven.co. Uh, you can learn more. There's a link in the show notes if you want to find out more about that. So strength. What is strength? What are we talking about when we use this word strength? It's obviously a word we all know, isn't it? Uh, there are shared definitions like the undeniable yet autological meaning that strength is the quality or state of being strong. <laughs> um, so what does it mean for something to be strong? It's able to move heavy things, being able to withstand, to handle, to resist. It's a relational quality. You know, it only makes sense in relationship with objects outside of the thing that possesses it. And it's often relative to a particular uh, way of measuring it as well, like the, you know, world's strongest man competition. It's a contest of physical strength, the ability to 
lift, to carry, to pull, to throw heavy things, to hold heavy things. It's a test of endurance, of force, of power um, and of stamina. But strength isn't just physical, is it? In essence, it's about how we hold what we hold, what we hold, when we hold, why we hold what we hold, when we hold, where we hold and how long we can hold it for. Um, And the world is not just a world of physical items. The human experience requires us to hold so much more than just physical objects. It's about how we hold each other, how we hold situations, our hopes, our disappointments, news, relationships, responsibilities, emotions, unexpected happenings, and so on and so forth. And true human strength is not a solo endeavour. As we're going to explore, it requires us to reconnect with the core of human strength, which is relational by nature. We are a social species and the deep source of our strength as humans and our ability as humans to survive and to thrive is built on uh, interdependence, strength as a collective, rather than this idea that we've got to be strong simply as individuals. Some of you will know that I was uh, an undertaker for six years, worked across a pretty wide region, driving and carrying on funerals and working in the mortuary, attending first calls to take people's loved ones into our care after they died. I mentioned the job from time to time, but I don't really spend too much time talking about it because I know it's not everybody's idea of a fun thing to hear about. Um, and I probably don't want to encourage those for whom it is a fun thing to hear about <laughs> too much. Uh, I always find, you know, people go one or two ways with it, Uh, especially when I did the job, people would either say, oh, okay, right, change the subject or walk away. Um, Or they have loads of questions and they're really interested to to kind of find out more about what is very often an industry that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. (laughs) People don't really want to look at it. Um, But anyway, I hope you'll permit me to talk about it um, for the next few minutes as we get into the theme of strength. It feels like quite an appropriate thing to refer back to because of the different types of strength that that job demands for people doing it. Starting with that point that I hadn't really thought about until just now, which is it's a job that doesn't get thought about very often and is not necessarily the thing to do if you want to be seen as a celebrated societal beacon. You know, you're ushered into places around the back um, and let out of places through the back door. You know, people don't want to see you. um, And part of the role is to make yourself as hidden Um, as possible. Something I didn't mind at all. I I don't mind that aspect. Um, But it takes probably a certain degree of strength in that respect. You know, during the pandemic, we were the key workers that no one wanted to mention, which can be hard when you're doing a vital job that, you know, no one wants to have to hire you for. Um, But yeah, it's a job that involves unavoidable physical heavy lifting um, and that's why I thought it's relevant to strength presents a cumulative emotional burden as well that you don't necessarily realize you're carrying Um, so I think there are a number of things that certainly taught me and continues to teach me as I reflect on it um, about ideas around true strength what you know what strength is required in certain situations and what that looks like So to start in the obvious place when working in the funeral industry, it's a physical job. You know, it takes strength to be able to lift and manoeuvre and carry people once they're deceased, Um, whether that's on stretchers and in body bags when you're doing kind of first call uh, call outs or in coffins during funeral ceremonies. 
as a pretty small man, um, this was part of the job that I found quite challenging at times, especially with the pressure to not only lift and carry, but to do so in in a dignified and respectful manner. You know, when people are are watching you taking their loved ones into your care, it's not just about lifting. It's about doing so in a way um, that makes that sort of instills confidence in you and trust. So, you know, we do call outs as a pair. Um, you wouldn't know what you're going into a lot of the time. Um, and it might involve maneuvering in pretty awkward spaces or, and carrying long distances um, and also different weights. And so, the, you know, the key to strength in this respect, a lot of the time when you're doing manual handling and, and physical lifting is, is technique. Um, it's understanding, you know, what causes strength where <laughs> in terms of your muscles. Um, and it takes planning and then moments of, of power as well. And it's all about the teamwork in that situation. It's not a job you can do alone, but by understanding kind of what is required in a, a given situation and the strengths and the roles of those who are there um, and do, carrying out that job, um, there's there's always ways to make things possible. So the job also takes emotional strength, as you can imagine, not just in the sense of, you know, being confronted by death every day and the toll that that can take, especially over time, it can be something that you don't notice is having an impact on your kind of emotional and mental health. Um, but it's also the strength in the role that you play in those environments like the, the first call when you're when you're there to take someone's loved one away in that initial time after someone's died. And also in funeral ceremonies. You know, you can become this this anchor for people at, at times in a moment of chaos and confusion. And you're sort of this pillar that sits in the middle of that that can give a sense of certainty or give a perception of certainty um, and can be reassuring in, OK, this is what this is what's required now. This is what's happening now. This is what's going to happen next. Um, and just to give those very simple uh, steps that people can key into can be massively strengthening in that sense. You know, it's not much comfort, but it can be a really almost like a boy that you can hold on to when you're all at sea. And this requires empathy and connection, but the maintenance also of as much control as the person needs you to have. You know, everyone is different. Everyone reacts differently during a time of crisis and emotional turmoil. So the emotional strength required is the ability to sort of really gauge what's needed and to step into that role. It's not, it's not sort of doing a like... This is this is who I am to everybody, but it's to really recognise. Okay, I know I can see how this person needs to feel supported and confident in the path that they are now on, the path they don't want to be on, um, but the path that they've found themselves on. You know, you might be the only anchor of certainty for people in that moment. Sometimes people need strength through control, um, so they need um, you to tell them precisely what to do. Um, sometimes they need strength through presence a calm voice in the sea of chaos. There are times where you're just, you're just needed there and you're needed to sort of either just be a presence there or to be speaking softly. They're not listening. They don't necessarily take in anything that you're saying, but you're, but there's a, a strength that comes through just being there. Um, sometimes they need you to be something that they can control. Um, this is, you know, this is somewhere that it's really difficult. It takes a lot of strength to be able to, to cope with it in, in many ways where somebody in their loss, they might become directive, they might become sharp um, and to, to kind of project stuff onto you um, as they attempt to find a sense of 
control, um, claw back a sense of certainty, and and you can become the the kind of tool they use for that. And there are obviously boundaries that you can implement within that, but it's also maintaining this awareness that it's not personal. This is not about me. Um, and so in this sense, it takes strength to be flexible, to be what needs to be in that moment and to not take it personally. So this idea of letting go what you carry feels like a really important facet of strength to mention here, you know, in the same way that you might shake out your muscles after reps, lifting physical weights or doing resistance work in the gym, whatever. It's important to do the same with our emotional muscles, to warm down, to stretch it out, to release um, things in, in ways that work for us. You know, the risk of not doing that is that we end up shutting off or bottling feelings up, which can lead to indiscriminate, inappropriate and uncontrolled expressions of unprocessed emotion and trauma, which is very rarely a pretty sight to behold. So shaking out the emotional muscles looks different for everyone, but it might be things like going for a walk, getting fresh air, creating, writing, recording your experiences, talking to a trusted friend or family member about what you've been through, singing, playing with kids or animals, you know, whatever it is for you, whatever it is that brings us back to ourselves in an expansive and creative sense, not through destructive or uh, harmful means. So in the funeral industry, humour is an important way. I think it's kind of one of those things you just see uh, across the board, all of the different people that I worked with over the years and the different teams that I went and um, kind of worked alongside. Humour is often there. Um, it's a way to gently hold the emotional weight obviously not at inappropriate times or in inappropriate ways but just being able to laugh with one another and share stories gives an outlet for the vulnerability and the connection that needs to take place in order to process that stuff that stuff that you might not even realize you're bottling up Um, to getting to release that during long slow drives for example can be a really helpful way of processing and gently reflecting on the gravity Uh, of the job it's also worth thinking about how we share the load in these kinds of situations there's nothing worse for our strength than feeling isolated and alone in the struggles and the challenges that we encounter and face for a number of years it kind of started to change by the time i finished and we'd be uh, using wheels um, a lot more to to kind of maneuver coffins around and to to uh, parade coffins into uh, funerals but when I first started, every single funeral we did, we'd carry the coffin on our shoulders. Um, and this requires a lot of teamwork. It requires you to, to work together, to lift together, to place the coffin down together and to trust one another. You know, if one person doesn't pull their weight or they think they can do it on their own, on their own timing, in their own rhythm, it kind of ends up putting everybody at risk, including them. Um, likewise, when struggling, it's important to feel safe in asking for help i learned to do that quite a lot you know rather than feeling ashamed for not being able to um, bear really heavy weights and putting pressure on others and also just taking like my future self quite seriously and thinking this could be causing some serious damage over time um, through through shoulders and backs i would um, get as much extra support as i could if i thought you know we're going to struggle here um, or this is beyond this is this is on the edge and it taught me that asking for help isn't just about me it's about everyone it keeps everyone safer and it also models to everyone that it's okay and safe to ask for help 
Um, and this kind of thing helps us better understand also our own limits um, and the limits of others. You know, if somebody else has asked for help before, then I can, okay, I, I have a better idea of where they might want to sort of draw their boundaries, where they want to draw their limits in the future. So I can look out for that and and think, okay, this is similar to that last time. Ask them, you know, do you want that support again? Do you want, should we, should we get that sorted out like, like we did last time? So it's not putting the burden on them to keep requesting it because that, even if we do it once, uh, ask for help once, that the idea of having to do it every single time is a burden in itself. So if we can take that burden off people by just being aware, like, okay, this is similar, then that can be really, really um, supportive. So we're starting to build a picture of what we might mean by the word strength, I hope. (laughs) It's worth pausing here to consider what strength is not. You know, this is not definitive by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's somewhat helpful to detach certain ideas um, from strength, from this 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 word strength, because I've noticed quite a bit of fairly unhelpful ways of conceptualizing what it means to be strong these days. I don't know if you've noticed, um, but there's a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting ways of holding, you know, strong leadership, for example, the way we're seeing things creep into the way organizations, the way governments are led the way people are being encouraged in some circles to position themselves in relationships, in social groups, in communities and families and how they think about other people, how they think about themselves and and what they think they need to do in order to assert themselves or have put put themselves in a position of uh, influence or whatever it might be. Strength is not domination, power and control. It's an important point to make here that positions and dominions of authority and influence require strong people. You know, when we think about organisations and governments and whatever it is, they require strong people, but they don't require people who want to dominate, overpower and coercively control other people or the entity that they're in charge of or part of the hierarchy within. This is a really important distinction. Abusing a position of power is not a sign of strength, it's a sign of weakness. An inability to hold responsibility with the required respect and reverence. Sometimes a a paradox when it comes to power, which I think Douglas Adams summed up uh, when he said, it's a well-known fact that those people who must want to rule people are ipso facto those least suited to do it. Uh, I think the word must there is important, you know, must want. Um, it's about the person who cannot live without ruling. It's a person who ha- has no real strong self-concept unless they are exerting influence, exerting domination over people. It's not the person who puts themselves forward to lead after, you know, deliberation and counsel from trusted advisors and, and a lot of thought and reflection. It's like, yeah, I think I might be the right person to do this. Um, or I'm happy to put myself in that position, but not because, uh, I like, I have no sense of self-respect unless I'm fully controlling other people. But in so many areas of our world, those who must want to rule people end up doing it. We've, we've got a lot of structures where that is still the, the, the kind of invites those people to take over. So domination, overpowering, coercive control, manipulation, They're weaknesses, but they're sometimes disguised or uh, talked of or thought of as strengths. Characteristics include ridiculing. You know, they make people feel unsafe and guarded. 
It's not okay to make mistakes because you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be humiliated probably in front of a lot of other people. They abuse trust. You know, they'll go back on things they've said in private. You know, they might be happy to throw people under the bus. Often they'll make sure that, you know, the other person has made their statement first. They'll go in and and undermine that. Uh, They're often unable to hide envy and they have an inability to handle other people's successes. Unable to hide the resentment at other people's successes. A strange ability to take something that somebody else has done well as a personal insult to them. And so there's also this victim mindset and a utopian way of holding the world. They turn life's natural contradictions and the differences between us, you know, the, the natural conflicts that arise because we, we all see the world differently. We all have different ways of thinking about things. They are unable to hold those contradictions and turn that into oppositional thinking and enemy making. Their focus is on changing or removing other people. Um, rather than on changing themselves or adapting their view or of just holding the contradiction in place. They're unable to articulate a positive future a lot of the time. Outside of the eradication or the elimination of the enemy, uh, those who lead through domination and control find it hard to create a positive vision of how they want things to be, how they imagine things could be. You know, when encouraged to articulate you know, how would you like things to improve? What would a, a, a better vision in the future look like? They'll often avoid answering. Uh, they might be like, well, what's the point? It's impossible anyway, because people like that are wanting to ruin it, ruin it for the rest of us. Um, and so then it just comes back to this same old repetitive um, uh, sort of scapegoating mechanism of there's no point in thinking about the future until we get rid of those people. That utopian uh, a utopian future is in the shadow of this this group that we need to eliminate. They see everything as a game, as a struggle for power, for domination, power, control, manipulation. These are all signs of a game player, somebody who sees everything as zero sum. It's a battle to be won or lost. They use language like that. You know, the, the thing that every conversation they have, somebody wins, somebody loses. Um, and they're probably most threatened by people who just don't who just refuse to play and they lack self-awareness. So like being unable or unwilling to change themselves, they often refuse to look at the common denominator in uh, the repeated uh, issues that they seem to encounter all the time. You might hear the person say, oh, I can't, every, why is everyone such an idiot? Why does the same thing keep happening to me? But it, uh, that, that, that question won't be in an effort to raise awareness about, about themselves. Like, why does this keep happening to me? I need to sort of really reflect on what am I doing here that means this keeps happening? (laughs) No, that's not what they're doing. Uh, It's in an effort to find someone to blame or even humanity as a whole because it's like everybody else is the problem. If it wasn't for people, then um, I would would be happy. (laughs) Uh, So this is not strength because it doesn't allow for strength to grow. You know, true strength is really the capacity to change. It's the capacity to morph, to grow, to develop. Um, as we're going to get onto more, a little bit more shortly, weaknesses remaining rigid and brittle when we need to be flexible, when we need to allow ourselves to be moved by the forces around us. That's, you know, strength is the ability to get stronger.
So it's worth just talking about the word force quickly, I think. You know, some things have to be forced. <laughs> it's useful to have the strength to force things open at times. You know, maybe you know people who have uh, a bit of gentle force in life or maybe brute force. Uh, someone like Hagrid in Harry Potter <laughs> comes to mind as as a character who is very, um, very strong, very f- like, you know, I'm, I'm sure he could, he could use a lot of force um, to prise things open and stuff like that. Um, I know people, you know, non-fictional people like that. I'm not going to name names, but they're incredibly strong, but also, you know, the sort of gentle giant type person. Some have more strength than they realize, <laughs> tend to, to break things. It might be slightly clumsy, uh, but it's great. It's kind of endearing, um, I find. Uh, I worked with someone a little bit like that. Absolutely amazing guy. Um, and reassuring, like the the most reassuring presence on so many levels that you could have um, with you, like on any of the, any in any of the aspects of the work that I used to do. It's the person that you wanted around if you needed a bolt loosening, <laughs> they'd be able to do that. Uh, not, they can get their hand into sort of the tightest of spaces. That was more my forte. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. But there's also non-physical things, aren't there, that we need to put some force behind to make them happen sometimes. It takes strength through perseverance, grit, stamina to keep going through, you know, that, that voice that says, give up, you're not strong enough for this. You get that fatigue. But when something is important to us and it's hard, we find that that kind of we're able to force it a little bit. Um, maybe you can think of examples of, of times when you've required this kind of strength to keep going. You've had to just force your way through something. Um, and when we do that, it usually takes something from us. We stretch our muscles. They need to rest afterwards when we're forcing. And that sort of force also has to come with a sense of surrender. It's a firm back, soft front force. It's putting it back into something, um, but doing so in a, yeah, in a gently forceful way. And this is different from a brittle force, a hard front wobbly back sort of position. Uh, This kind of hard and brittle, it's fragile and insecure beneath the surface. In fact, it's only surface. If it gets hit too hard, it shatters and you see there's nothing underneath. You know, we talk about gentleness as a firm back and a soft front. Brittle force is the opposite of that. Bravado and swagger, it's a display of strength. Perception management, a strategy that needs people to believe in what they see and submit through fear. And it's important that we believe in the fear that we feel in response to what we see. It's a hard front that, if penetrated and broken through, reveals a rather wobbly back and insecure innards. We describe certain behaviour as a front, don't we? Like a wall that the person doesn't want anyone to get through. That's what it is. They're putting up a front. This kind of front can come through a proxy identity. You know, years of news stories about police abusing power, for example. You know, I saw this firsthand and close up, something that concerned me long before it smashed through the door of my own home. Um, you know, concerns about the way certain people held their position and talked about the strength and power that this identity gave them. Be interesting to explore the links between these these sorts of roles and Jean-Paul Sartre's concept of bad faith, whereby you believe you really are your symbolic identity and you allow that to take over your freedom and direct your actions and your beliefs about the world, about yourselves, about other people. You deny your own human subjectivity. 
And so in this sense, strength becomes a dehumanizing characteristic, an ideal that is impossible to maintain as a human being, but must be upheld to validate your worth as the symbolic identity that you are uh, in the position of. This is not talked about nearly enough when it comes to issues of abuses of power that we see in institutions like the police, like religious organizations, educational establishments, and so on. There's a mixture of how the wrong people might be attracted to these places. And that's compounded by the message that is often given, the story that is told within those places. You actually are this thing, this symbolic identity that you're stepping into. There's a lot of conversation after the Queen died about like people distinguishing, okay, there's, there's Elizabeth the person and there's the Queen. The Queen is a symbolic identity, but we think of her as the Queen, this deified human, this thing that is not who she is. It's not the humanity of that person that, that fulfills that role. But yeah, we see this in small ways in everyday life as well. You actually are this thing. You're chosen by God. You're stronger than the civilian population. You're a protector. You are a keeper of peace. The one that always set alarm bells going for me was this line that when everyone else runs away from danger, you go towards it as if it's this essential aspect of who you are that makes you special and better than everybody else as opposed to something that the role that you are um, fulfilling requires of you or is part of that job and again to paraphrase the douglas adams quote maybe those people who must want to protect people and be the hero are ipso facto those least suited to do it claire weeks wrote that strength is not born of strength strength can be born only from weakness so be glad of your weakness now they are the beginnings of your strength. So it's from weakness and flexibility that strength grows. Like how the tree grows reaction wood because it holds its weakness in contrast to the wind, its true strength lays in its capacity to grow stronger, not in the strength it already possesses. Something or someone who thinks they're strong enough will not become stronger. There were studies conducted in a human-made biosphere where it was apparent that trees grew faster than they did in the wild but scientists were baffled by the fact that before reaching maturity they would collapse under their own weight it turned out the lack of wind in the domed environment resulted in intrinsic weaknesses in the trees they hadn't needed to grow what is called reaction or tension wood which is a different form of wood on the side of a plant or tree um, when it's under stress containing up to 60% cellulose, it's able to reinforce and strengthen branches against the affecting forces of wind and gravity and shape the direction to acquire better access to light, water and other uh, necessary resources. So the presence of things that threaten the tree help the tree grow strong from its weakness. The Greek word aphiemi is translated in many ways. And I find it a really helpful tool for thinking about strength, especially our capacity for strengthening our own responses to people, to experiences and to situations that we might face. It often takes great strength to do the right thing because the right thing is often also the hard thing. When it comes to defining strength for you as an individual, your right and hard thing might be an easy thing for someone else. It might be simple for me. And the thing that you find really easy might actually be the most difficult thing I can imagine trying to do. For example, afiemi is translated as to yield or to give way. You know, if under stress, your default is to bend other people to your will and to try getting your own way, to try controlling them, then learning to yield might be something worth 
strengthening. That's the sort of strength from weakness position. On the flip side, maybe you yield very easily when things get strained. Perhaps you're quick to let go of your own uh, desires, your own wants and your own needs. Learning to stand firm in those situations might be your potential source of strength from weakness. So learning to pardon when you find it easy to hold a grudge. Learning to hold accountability when you usually just let things slide. Learning to tolerate when you don't want to hear or attempt to understand the perspective of another person. Learning to permit when you tend to complain, clamp down and eradicate. Learning to divorce when you keep coming back to the site of your pain, hoping something will magically change. Learning to abandon when you're desperate to stay no matter the cost to your health. Learning to forgive when you want to punish. Learning to let go when you're desperate to hold on and learning to hold on when you want to throw it away. These are helpful because they're fluid and they change from moment to moment and situation to situation. You might find that some of the defaults ring true as the place you seem to automatically land. If you're a people pleaser or you dislike conflict, then the idea of holding accountability or divorcing in the sense of walking away from something or someone or abandoning the thing that's causing you harm might feel really uncomfortable, might feel like something, I, I can't do that. This is a source of tension wood, strengthening in the wind. Likewise, if you're quick to resent someone for doing you wrong and hold a grudge for something that once happened, maybe a long time ago, or you don't want to hear what someone you disagree with thinks. You don't want to entertain the possibility that they might have a point or you want someone to suffer like you did. Then the source of tension word is found in there somewhere, not in the thing we default to, not in the thing we find kind of simple or easy, not in the way we automatically hold the world or ourselves or other people. No, strength is born from weakness in this sense. It's experimenting, testing, flexing in the other direction. It's not easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of um, inner work and awareness to recognise what are these things. Um, And I encourage you, like if you want a sounding board for that, then uh, reach out. Like I'd love to to talk to you about that if this is something that that kind of resonates as as a thing that you're working through yourself at the moment. I keep this thing keeps happening. I keep reacting to situations in this way. And I really uh, want to strengthen some of those other, those other ways of, of reacting. I want to get that tension word um, sort of strengthened um, so that I can be more flexible in the choice that I make as I respond to these situations or these people or these um, experiences in my life. So coming back to the tree in a biodome, it's quite a helpful image when it comes to thinking about ideas and opinions and arguments as well. The biodome is like an echo chamber, I guess. It gives quick growth to the ideas that are untested and untouched by anything outside of of that bubble that we we have. You know, if we're interested in developing strength around positions and arguments and ideas, one way to do that is to expose them to the elements, <laughs> which is, you know, not not the most appealing thing to do, especially when the option is there not to. Um, and I suppose in some ways, this is the scientific approach. When we approach life with this uh, scientific outlook, we want the wind to blow our hypothesis. We can then adjust, we can adapt, we can flex in response to what we get back. It's not necessarily appealing. It's not always appropriate to do this. But if we want to strengthen how we hold and relate to our position and our opinions and you know the things we we think about things it's a definite option 
we can imagine many aspects of life where we've really lost this source of strength. You know, there's biodomes everywhere. Biodome bubbles are separating us from one another um, in many different ways. And under the protection of a biodome, the tree appears to grow. You see the tree growing. It looks like, yeah, this thing is, is really coming to life. But before it can properly, properly mature, the growth is fast. It's superficial but then it causes its own demise. So the true strength forged in response to the weather outside it might lead to slower growth. It might look uh, a bit cumbersome and uncomfortable. You know, the tree might end up sort of almost bending over a little bit. It might not look great, but it is necessary for it to stand a better chance of becoming what it can be. When we focus solely on the individual as a source of strength, We run the risk of turning personal strength into collective weakness as well. The way we often talk about it, resilience is framed to pin responsibility for everything on the individual and replace support through collective organisation and structural safety to this thing that you just have to hold yourself. There's a difference between a collectivist mindset that believes, you know, everything should be provided by the collective to me as an individual and a mindset that sees me I see myself within and as the collective. The most rewarding aspect of uh, this role being my contribution, the, the fact I get to contribute to something bigger than myself, the part I play in that collective rather than what I get from it. And we can revisit two words uh, to understand this distinction, I think, which is safety and protection. I want to expand on this. We talked about this in episode 17. We're talking about serenity is not a destination. Um, And I want to explore safety and protection in relation to strength, in particular, this idea of support and resilience and avoidance. We might think of these differences as support from below versus support from above. Maybe safety comes from feeling supported from below. Protection comes from feeling supported from above. Imagine that tree again, picture that tree in the biodome, supported from above with a big protective bubble. Keeps harm out, keeps harm away from the tree so the tree grows in blissful ignorance until one day it falls under its own weight because it hasn't been given the necessary uh, environment, the necessary conditions to grow the reaction wood that's actually going to strengthen it to survive. The protection, while it appears to be supporting the tree by providing this safe environment, has actually caused it harm. But if we remove the biodome and expose the tree to the elements that come from the outside world, we suddenly need something else to support its development and growth. It needs to be connected to the environment around it, plugged into the ecosystem, into the community. Support from below is about creating safety for failure rather than safety from failure. Protection can feel heavy, like we're unfree and unable to move in the way we would choose to if we were safe to do so. It's necessary also at times. Think of the egg in a nest, protecting a bird as it prepares to hatch, as it grows in those very, very vulnerable early days. It can't do that without the egg. But that egg eventually needs to crack, otherwise the bird will outgrow it and suffocate. If the egg is too strong not to hatch, what happens? Once the bird is born, safety comes through the environment that's been prepared for it. The lessons it can learn from the other birds around it. 
being encouraged to take scary steps as it grows into what it becomes and becomes the fully fledged thing that it ultimately <laughs> becomes like raising a baby you know it needs protecting from above until it's ready to make its own mistakes with an element of uh, responsibility and choice and autonomy but reassurance that they are safe when they screw up so safety like this is is like a, a net it's going to catch us if we fall. It helps us to then take the scary steps without fear of death. Both types of support are sources of strength. They're also displays of strength. To let go of the need to protect something or someone and to let it go its own way can be terrifying. It takes great strength to be able to do that. But when we do it, it also contributes to the strength of the thing that we are letting go of. The most profound act of love is to allow someone the freedom to exist without you, turning their desire to be with you into a want rather than a need. That is a site of strength. Bottom-up support is not just about physical safety. It's about feeling like it's okay to be authentic and vulnerable. In contrast, protection is this kind of reminder not to reveal too much. Safety allows us to feel what we feel. Someone said this about what they value about my coaching in, in, when we were talking in the Haven Cotter session. And they said they feel like, you know, I don't see their silly worries, uh, silly worries and fears, quote unquote, as silly. Um, but I hear them with respect and compassion. This is part of what then gave them the strength to work with them and move towards things they thought the worry and fear was stopping them from getting to. This was a really big takeaway for me from our, from our Haven conversation. It's not simply validating everyone's fear and anxiety and worry and stopping there and saying, yeah, it's, that's, it's, everybody's, everybody's got them, that's fine. It's not enough to know that it's okay to feel what we feel and even to feel, you know, to recognise, oh, others feel the same thing as that. Support from below, safety in that sense, takes another step, an active step. I think that first bit is is almost the protection part. It's like, that's okay to feel those things. You know, everybody feels those things and just allow that to happen. Then the safety is, and it's the active step, providing safety to act without paralyzing fear of what will go wrong when we do. What does it mean that it's okay not to be okay? Is it enough? just to have people listen to us talk about how we're not okay and for that to be heard without judgment? Or is that the first part of something else that needs to happen? Something else is required. True support, a safety from below, the thing that is actually often missing in a lot of these conversations. The reason we feel so often not okay. A lot of the time we just want to feel that it's okay to take steps in the direction we want to go. And that you know, there are so many factors that make it feel like it's not okay to do that. In a world of unavoidable and natural uncertainties, we've also constructed many unnecessary uncertainties by stripping away supports from beneath our feet. We don't need to wait for someone else to build them. We can start small. We can weave them, integrate them, create them alongside one another. How can we provide this kind of support to someone today? this week, this month, this year, 
What would we do if we had the confidence in that kind of support beneath our feet? so finally i want to look at one of my big beliefs that we are strengthened by the ability to laugh at ourselves if we can laugh at ourselves no one has the power over us to laugh at us to ridicule us to you know i think humor is the ultimate weapon of gentle strength a few years ago i wrote a piece um or it was a video i think that i shared in the haven called uh, inward gentleness um and i went back revisited it ahead of our uh, conversation this year um and yeah some of it was like okay yeah this this kind of makes sense some of it was like i'm not sure about that um but i want to just share some of it with you um as we as we come to the end of this episode so our inward gentleness puts us in a position of strength it gives us the foundation of a better response to the bully to the racist to the narcissist the energy and joy sucking individuals who require others to feel hurt and offended so that they can feel in control They don't receive that fuel from people who live life from a place of inward gentleness. Because this forms the basis for a firm, strong and powerful response, which doesn't come from an emotive reaction to the words and actions, but from a deeper place. Not from self-pity, retaliation or the position of being a victim, but from active hope for something better. Love with those who share the vision and a sense of trust in the process of bringing this vision into the light when we're gentle with ourselves the words of others find it harder to penetrate our skin we know how we are we're at peace with it we feel a deep acceptance of our place in the universe and filter life through the eyes of love and unity not fear and hate abundance not scarcity connection not division inward gentleness is blocked when we get caught up in some of the classic pressures of our modern world. We become disconnected from our inner rhythms and natural pace and feel compelled to live to the beat of another drum. This is when we tend to start beating ourselves up, being hard on ourselves for not being like others, for not valuing the same things as other people, not keeping up or being able to cope with the same stress levels as the next person. When our actions are driven by a desire to prove something of ourselves, to show we can do it, to prove someone wrong, to make a point and gain what we think will be the approval of the person who didn't believe in us. When we see others as a threat and feel the sting of judgment, when we don't have the same levels of success and wealth as them, when we take the words of other people personally and allow them to speak to our soul as if they know our hearts, our desires and our values. It's so easy to derail our own inward gentleness. It happens all the time. And what do these things all have in common? They're about how we hold other people in our minds. They're underpinned by insecurity, fear and judgment, the catalyst for which is comparison and assumptions based on what we perceive. We allow our shame to rise up and meet the road of how we see the world around us. The critical voice creeps in. Everyone else knows what they're doing. Everyone else is better than me. Everyone else is leaving me behind. That's a voice we all have in some form or another. And what kind of world would we build if we all hear that kind of message all the time? A world of envy, fear, distrust. 
where we're trying to prove ourselves and show that we are worthy, displaying the value of our stuff, our relationships, our experiences so that people take us seriously. What if no one really wants this world, but we're all still creating it? Where does that leave us? What can we do about it? I've spoken to many people I've assumed engage willingly with this way of seeing things, with this way of living. But the conversation often turns to one of understanding and hope. It turns out that they too struggle, spending money they can't afford on things they don't want to keep up the appearances of a life they're not enjoying. I feel stuck. I want to get free, but I don't know how. Why does this happen to so many of us? What takes us down that line where we continue feeding a reality that we don't want and we pay the price with our mental and physical well-being as well as our relationships and our happiness? Hold the world with gentleness and you'll see and hear the beauty calling out from within it. Hold your experiences, your challenges, your struggles and your fears with a gentle hand. Don't take it to heart. The growth of spirit and soul comes from gentleness, character, virtue, deep strength, We will experience more gentleness when we root our lives in it. It's a strength of character that provides the platform for gentleness. And it's choosing to be gentle that gives your character more integrity and strength. As we become more gentle with ourselves, we will become more gentle with others. And the world may even begin to feel more gentle with us. We will experience its gentleness. See, feel, hear it. Because we're more aware of it, tuned into it. No, it won't remove the harshness, the hostility, the aggression that comes from other people over whom we have no control. But it makes those things less impactful, less all or nothing. When we choose to engage at that soul level of gentleness, we develop a strength that transcends the demands of a competitive, hostile world. We will sidestep the expectation that we must engage with it. And we get to choose instead to live at a gentler pace, with our whole set of healthier and more meaningful values. So I want to finish this episode with a poem that Ange shared after our Cotter session. Um, Ange had talked about the concept of active stillness when we were chatting about the uh, default stress responses around the Afiemi stuff. Um, Active stillness is another option that we can draw on. It's not avoidance, but it's not action for the sake of just doing something It isn't freezing in the face of something uncomfortable. It's a breath, a moment, a chance to choose the response that we want to have to whatever it is that's in front of us. A response from within us, aligned with who we are, aligned with our capacity, our energy, our ability in the given moment. It's the pause. So we're going to finish with this poem. Go and check out Ange Disbury dot co dot uk a n g e d i s b u r y you'll find more of angie's poems there some really beautiful things that she's written um, so i really encourage you to to go and check that out and to subscribe uh, for uh, what she says uh, occasional updates um, as and when um, energy and family um, allow so, yeah. Also, if you like the sound of our Haven conversation, I've, I've tried to not smash you around the head with it, um, but sort of give you an impression of the kinds of things that we do in the Haven um, through this episode. So if you like the sound of what we do um, and the results of it, uh, then, yeah, come and join us. The dash haven dot co the hyphen haven dot co.
to find out more. Um, yeah, so this is the pause. When my compulsion to prove my point overcomes me and my need to respond is fueled by urgency, my mind races to be right, my senses rise to the fight and then I reluctantly remember the pause. The humbling, painful pause. The uncomfortable breaks on pause. The beautiful let things sit pause that turns my focus from agitation to curious investigation, unravelling my defences to uncover a deeper wisdom. The pause that is active yet still. Noticing but not heavy lifting, permission granter for things to unfold. Space creator for quiet questions to evolve. All right, until next time, take care and remember that gentleness is always an option, even when it appears impossible. Bye-bye.